writing a song between Tuesday and, and Sunday. It probably took them 24 hours. <laughs> Thank you, Mac. And you know what? I realized that we've never introduced your wife, Amy. Yes. I, we've never done that, to my knowledge. So I want to introduce a better half. Amy, would you please stand up? Please stand up. Thank you. Thank you. Before I bring the, the message, a personal note. I know the Scripture said, honor to whom honor is due. And so I want to pay homage. To a man who went to be with the Lord this week, as Dr. John Haggai. <laughs> if you have not read my book, Trust and Obey, you probably would not know the story. I met John Haggai in September of 75 in Sydney, Australia. The most amazing way to meet somebody. I mean, it was just unlikely story, except it's a God thing. Has to be. And literally six months later, when I met him, came back to Sydney, and, and he said, I, I believe the Lord would have you come and succeed me as the head of the Haggai Institute. I said, oh, wait a minute. I'm 26 years old. But that's how visionary he was. And then we moved to California. He tried to discourage me from doing that and wanted me to move straight to Atlanta. I said, no, we prayed about this. We know the Lord is guiding us there. So, and I was telling Woody White, who have a mutual friend. Of course, we came around the same time. And actually, Woody came early to work with Cecil Day. He was the chairman of the Haggai board. And, uh, and, and he, he would call me in California 6, time, 6 a.m. in the morning. California time, 9 o'clock in the morning, Atlanta time. And the phone rings, and my wife said, here's John Haggai. <laughs> he would say, rise and shine, brother. Have you prayed about moving to Atlanta? <laughs> that went on for months. And we had a, a, a ministry that was waiting for us in Sydney. And uh, in fact, the Archbishop of Sydney held it open. And, and we, so we prayed, and we prayed diligently. But it was his persistence that God used for us to, as we prayed, and we moved to Atlanta at the end of 78. And, you know, of course, neither he nor I have anticipated what God has done. Apostles leading the way, kingdoms, all these things that God has done. And I've never talked to him on the phone without saying, John, I owe you a debt of gratitude because everything that God is doing, you had a hand in that, whether we knew it or not. For that, I'm very grateful for that man. Uh, he went into heaven, a great entry into heaven, and now he's with his wife and his son, Johnny. Father, I thank you for those who die in the Lord. We thank you. It is precious in your sight, the death of your saints. And I thank you for a man who played a role in my life that uh, is, if, will go on and on 
until Jesus comes back. So I pray, Lord God, that you would help us number our days and that you would give us a heart of wisdom. And so, Father, that we live every day in preparation for that great audience of one. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. As I bring this series of messages, experiencing triumph through praise to an end, I'll bring it to a close today. As I bring it to a close, this last message is going to be a challenging message, not to all of you, I know, but to some. But before I get there, I want to recap what we have been seeing throughout the series of messages. We have been seeing how God's blessings, God's peace, God's joy always follows a praise-filled life. Here is a principle that you must never forget. Blessings follow praise. Would you say that with me? Blessings follow praise. Blessings always follow praise. But I want to be very clear. I want to be very clear because sometimes people, you know, take what they want to hear and and run with it because I, I want to be very clear. While God does respond with blessings to the praised filled life, His blessings are only the byproduct. Did you get that? It's a byproduct of the praise-filled life. You say, oh my God, why are you emphasizing this so much? That is only a byproduct because I don't want anyone to misunderstand me in thinking, well, if I can praise God for a few days, <laughs> I get His blessing. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. So it reminds me of a guy, this is many years ago. I was preaching about the blessing of tithing. And uh, this guy comes to me and says, well, for the last three months, I've been tithing, and I've not been blessed. Nothing is happening. I said, if that's your attitude, you're better off going to the slot machine. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. I don't know. Do we have slot machines in Atlanta? I don't know. <laughs> My beloved, listen to me, please, because this is really… The, 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 the icing on the cake in this whole series. Because if I succeed under God, only under God, if I succeed under God in communicating anything, anything during this whole series of messages, it would be the following. Listen carefully. The praise-filled life is a lifelong practice. The praise-filled life is a lifestyle The praise-filled life is a daily experience. The praise-filled life is a permanent, permanent habit. (laughs) Then and only then you will discover the enormous blessings of God that only is the byproduct of that lifestyle. Can I get an amen? amen? But there's more that I want to emphasize, at least one more thing. Our Heavenly Father is not motivated to bless us 
just because we utter some words that we know He likes to hear. You see? But rather, our Heavenly Father is motivated to bless us because praise and thanksgiving places us in the posture of receiving more of His blessings. Let me give you the deep connection between the praise-filled life and God's blessings. When you begin to learn how to do this on a daily basis, a lifestyle, praising God, thanking God, lifting the name of God, blessing the name of God, there's one thing sure is going to happen. Absolutely sure. I promise you. You're going to be convicted of your sin. You're going to be convicted of sin. And then you're going to be confessing of your sin. And then you're going to be repentant of your sin. And when that happened, listen to me, because God knows everything. When you do that, what you're doing, you're coming in agreement with God. God knows. But when you come and say, Lord, I am so sorry. I, I, I have I've, I've, my failure, my shortcoming, this words that I've spoken, I shouldn't have spoken, whatever it is. And when you come in agreement with heaven, then you're going to experience God's blessing. Then and only then, you will joyfully seek to obey the Word of God. Then and only then, you will joyfully seek to be more like Jesus every day. And all that brings about the blessing of God. Hear me out, please. This is important. As much as praise leads to blessing, it is because it leads to repentance. And that brings about God's blessing, God's favor, God's joy, and God's smile. Let me illustrate this from a Semitic language's point of view. And I think there's there's both Aramaic, Arabic, and Hebrew. And I don't do this very often, but occasionally I get into this nugget, and I'd love to share it with you. When Psalm 103 said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. The root word for that word, bless the Lord, Barakah, in the Semitic languages. Bless. Barakah. It has its root in kneeling. I know some of you might have heard me say this before. I don't remember saying this before. But Barakah, which means blessing, it also means kneeling. And it comes from the fact that in the Middle East, a camel has to kneel all the way down on all four in order that he may receive the goodies. The camel is very tall. You can't dump the stuff on, on the camel unless he kneels. So the two words are interconnected. As you kneel in praise, you get the blessing. Think about this. Think about this with me. The same word blessing as kneeling. When you want God's barakah, you have to barak. On your knees. 
Question. How do we bless God? How do we bless God? I remember somebody asking me that years ago. If we bless the name of God only in words, no, with the totality of our being, we bless God by submitting to Him in every area of our life. We bless God by pouring out our love on Him and on others. And when that happens, you can be assured of the fact that God will never say to you, add a boy, add a girl, that's what, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep just doing it until you empty. No, 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 no. That's not how God works. I'm going to show you from the Word of God. I'm not clever enough. I can tell you, I'm going to, God would say to you, keep on pouring it, then I'm going to keep pouring more on you. As you pour it out, I'll pour it in. As you pour it out, I'll pour it in. (laughs) Well, you may say, well, Michael, where do you get this? Glad you asked. In Luke 6.38, and by the way, as you're finding it in the Scripture, Luke 6.38, the only two verses, two, 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 three references today, not too many Bible references, but I staked my life 45 years ago. I staked my life. I staked my ministry. I staked my family. I staked everything on the promise of Jesus in Luke 6.38. Look at it with me. Here's what Jesus said. Give, it will be given to you. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together and running over. Now, you have to have grown up in the Middle East like I have to understand that. When my mother would send me uh, to the, uh, 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 the store where you get grains, lentils or other things, a generous salesperson uh, 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 would, would, would take the, would pile the, the lentil or whatever it is, then he shakes it over to get the air out. And then he presses it down. And then he heaps it over. It's all heaped, and then he gives it to you. Now, a chinchy person, he not only puts a false bottom <laughs> in his measure, you can't see, he gives you a flat top. You know, like how the kids get a flat top cut? <laughs> he just gives you a flat top of the measurement. But God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is saying, that when you give what he does back, he presses it over. He shakes it to get all the air out. Then he presses it some more. Then he has it heaping over, and then he said, pours it into your lap. And then he goes in to say, for the measure by which you measure, it will be measured back to you. I told you this is going to be a challenging message. When you give to God as an act of praise, when you give to God as an act of obedience, as you give to God as an act of thanksgiving, God, thank you. What are you actually doing? You are kneeling (laughs) so that you may receive more blessings. You place yourself in a position of receiving more blessings. 
I know people give for all sorts of motives, and you've heard me say this many times. I really do not judge people's motives. It's, none, it, 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 it's a sin, and if I ever do it, I immediately repent of it. I don't judge people's motives. We don't know what people's motives are. But people give for all sorts of motives. They give out of guilt, or they give out of obligation, or they give out of habit, or they give just because, you know, it's the right thing to do. That's between them and God. It's not my business. <laughs> I don't judge. But giving, that is in a form of praise to God, in a form of thanksgiving to God, gets God's favor. Can I get an amen? amen. I want to tell you something I hope to God you never forget. People can give without praising, Right? But there are very few people who can praise without giving. People give without praising God, but you cannot be praising without giving. Both the praising spirit and the giving spirit, they the outflow of a grateful heart, of a grateful heart. I never hesitate talking about giving for simple reason, because giving is part of praise and worship. It's part of praise and worship. Because giving is not only honoring to God, but also orients our hearts, orients us toward His work and the work that He left us to do here on earth. Today I want to tell you that praise living and self-giving are the Siamese twins of a praised-filled life. Let me repeat this, because I want you to say amen. <laughs> Some of you are going to have a hard time saying amen, but that's okay. Praise living and self-giving are the Siamese twins of a praised-filled life. There you go. You see, praising God just with our lips… Um, is hollow. We have to praise God with our substance, because praising with lips and praising with substance are inseparable. Praising God in words alone can be empty praise, but praising God with our substance confirm the praise-filled life. Praising God with our mouths can be hollow unless we, and it is accompanied by self-giving. Perhaps there is no greater example of what I'm trying to tell you than in the life of the greatest singer on the face of the earth in history, the greatest singer. Now, Mike comes close. <laughs> King David wrote some of the most magnificent songs. Uh, he wrote some of the most magnificent songs. He knew what it means to enter into the presence of God in praise and in worship. Uh, David wrote and composed many of the magnificent psalms that are blessing us now 3,000 years later. In fact, no one understood the importance of the praise-filled life like David, and we've seen him before. But David did not praise God in words only but he praised God with his substance. Let me tell you about 
Remember that King David was so overwhelmed in thanksgiving to God of what God has done for him, where God has that all, all the, the struggles of life that he brought him through and, and where he placed him. He was so indebted to God. He was so grateful. His heart was flowing. He said, God, I want to build a temple for your glory. So far, we have a tent that is housing the tabernacle, the, 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 uh, bless you, the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's what we call senior moments. <laughs> I was placing the, the Ark of the Covenant is in a tent and has been in a tent. And he said, God, it's the longing of my heart to build you a permanent place for your glory, for your honor, so people can come and praise you and glorify your name and thank you. And God said, no. <laughs> and you hate it when God says no. <laughs> but I can tell you, the greatest experiences of my life is when I prayed for things and God said No. I go back and bless him for that. So don't ever be put off when God says no. Because that's your blessing. It's for your blessing. And that's exactly, you know, David was not put off by that. He was not put off by that. God said, no, 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 not you, David. Your son Solomon is going to build it for me. I'm not going to be put off by that. That's fine, Lord. You're sovereign. I'm a gratitude to you. Knows no bound. And so he gives his net worth. Everything he has, piles it up. And he says, I'm going to leave it here so that Solomon can build the temple. Some people estimate that net worth was equivalent to our money, probably a billion dollars of today's money. Question. What was David's motivation for praising God with his substance? The answer actually is found in 1 Chronicles 29, and you can turn that too. There's not, you know, I told you only three references I'm going to go through. So 1 Chronicles 29, in verses 3 and 4, he's basically saying in those two verses is, Lord, this is my tangible expression of my personal gratitude to you. I've been praising you all of my life for writing psalms. Now this is my tangible way of saying thank you. David, writing psalms and singing psalms were not enough. To David, mere words, even those magnificent words that have emanated from a, a, a praise-filled life were not enough. His praise had to be confirmed by sacrificial giving. Look with me at verses 14 all the way to 18. First Chronicles 19. I'm going to read them for you. I don't know where they're going to put them. By the way, the last week when I was trying to go through all the nine names and then the computer shut down, we had to get a new one this morning. So as you follow it with me, you know what? This is a good time to stand. Let's stand up for the honor of the Word of God. I'm going to read it for you. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. 
We are aliens and strangers in your sight, and as were all our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Oh, Lord, as for all this abundance that we have provided for the building of your temple, for your holy name, it comes from your hand. And all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and you are pleased with integrity. All these things that I have given, it goes from the giving of the congregation to his personal giving, his personal sacrificial giving. He said, all these things that I have willingly given with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. O Lord God of, of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep this desire in our hearts and in the hearts of your people forever, and keep their hearts loyal to you. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Be seated. Beloved, here's what David is saying here. He's saying loyalty to God is expressed in giving and in praising. Loyalty to God is manifested when you give with all of your heart and you praise with all of your might. Loyalty to God is expressed in words but also in action. The same principle operate in the New Testament. You see, don't let anybody mislead you of saying that we have two books, Old Testament and New Testament. We have only one book, two sections. Anybody tells you to get unhitched from the Old Testament is a false teacher. The Old Testament and the New Testament is one book. One says he's coming, the other one said he's here. One book. We have one book. It's the Holy Bible. It's the Word of God. Because the same principle operated in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you've never taken time alone, quietly, read 1 Corinthians 15, you must do that. Do it this afternoon if you can. It is one, it's long, it's 58 verses, but it is a magnificent chapter. And the Apostle Paul is actually giving them intellectual proof and reasoning proof of the resurrection, our resurrection, because of the resurrection of Jesus. And he goes on, and he talks about the resurrection and the resurrection and our resurrection, the joy of our resurrection, and how we're going to live forever with Jesus. And he goes on and on and on. It takes us to the very portals of heaven. And then in verse 1 of chapter 16, he says, Now, as for the collection. What? What? You, you just took us all the way to heaven, and then you come to the mundane thing, it's a collection? Yeah. Paul is saying that heaven and giving are interconnected, that giving and heaven are interrelated, that heaven and giving are intertwined. Here, he tells us about the link between the joy of our resurrection in terms of sending on timber. And now this is figure of speech. 
sending on some timber for your mansion in heaven. Some are still unable to think about the distinction and the relationship between heaven and giving. So I want to give you three things. Now, don't panic. This is not a three-point sermon. This is just three points I want to make very quickly. So some of you said, oh, my goodness, he hasn't got to the sermon yet. <laughs> I mean, his stomach is growling, and he's, oh, he's just going to start the three points. This is a very quick three points. It's not the three-point sermon. I want to tell you these three things. I pray to God that they will stick with you for the rest of your life and that you pass them on to your children. First of all, giving back to God is an indication that you really believe that everything you have belongs to God. That's the first thing. The second thing I want to tell you is this. Giving back to God is sowing seed for future blessings. You're sowing seed. You're sowing seed for future blessings. And the third thing is saying, God, giving seed, uh, give, give, giving feeds on praising, and praising feeds on giving. And they both feed on each other. I'm going to show you in a minute. Look at this very, very quickly. If you blink, you're going to miss it. First of all, when we praise God with our giving, we are testifying to the fact that we really believe that everything we have belongs to Him, that He owns everything we have. Uh, we are affirming tangibly that every breath is a gift from God. Some will say, God owns everything. And then God gets very precious little of what He owns. Hello. Hey, thank you. Now, you said that for all of us. That is not a proof. Let me tell you about a proven fact. A proven fact. The more you give, as Jesus said, not on my words, the more you give, the more you are actually creating room for God to give more. To pile it back. See, some people think giving is like having a pie and you slice it. So when you give, you've got few slices left. That's not biblical concept. That's not biblical concept. That's secular concept. God's concept is that your life is a silo and you have the grain in that silo. And every time you open the faucet and get some grain, God has a key to the top lid of the solo, silo. He has, a, he has a key to it. So he opens up and pours some more. And the more you use, the more he pours it out from the top. That's, that's a biblical image rather than the pie. The truth is this. Everything we have is a loan from God. Can I get an amen? amen. Everything we have is a loan from him. You remember when you went to the bank and you borrowed some money, you bought a house, and you moved into the house and said, that's our house. That is not your house. You agree? It's not your house. It's the bank's house. It's the mortgage company's house. You don't believe me? Just try not to pay the monthly payment. <laughs> Two or three months. Just don't, you know, you'll see what I mean. <laughs> I hope you don't do this. But soon you discover it's not your house. It's not your house. Beloved, it's in the same way everything we have. They are all on a loan from the great banker of the universe. Not only that giving proves 
that we actually believe that God owns everything. But secondly, giving is sowing seed for future blessings. Listen to me. God established the sowing and the reaping principle back in Genesis. You say, well, Bob and the Indians talk about karma. Where do you think? The principle, because we all have the same parents, and we're scattered around the world, and because we're all created in God's own image, so many of the things that you see done, and even the sacrifices they offer to idols, the whole concept of sacrifice comes all the way back to Genesis. They may have scattered all over the world for thousands of years. All goes back to Genesis. They all learned it, and they passed it on. So God established the principle of sowing and reaping back in Genesis. The Lord Jesus Christ, we just read in Luke 6.38, affirmed this principle of sowing and reaping. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6, 7, and 8 He affirms this biblical principle when he said, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever whoever sows generously will reap generously. But you know what? That would not be good to stop here. A lot of people kind of take a verse and run with it. Always go back to the context, as I've been telling you all my life. You've got to read the next part, the next part. The apostle goes on, verses 7, 8, and 9, 2 Corinthians 9, God is able to make all grace. How many? How many? All. All grace abound to you. Question, what is the result of that abounding grace? He continues, so that in all things, how many things? And in all, at all times, how many times? Having all that you need, how many? You will abound in generosity. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Just because some people misapplied the Word of God and used it for their selfish purposes, it doesn't make it less the Word of God. Are you with me? So don't don't miss what I'm going to tell you. Don't miss what I'm going to tell you. And don't misinterpret what I'm going to tell you. Don't start thinking, oh, Michael is going into prosperity gospel. No, 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 no. Listen carefully. God's desire for His children is abundance. God bless you. God's desire, as the Bible said, God's desire, not for anyone to perish. It's His desire, His longing. He wished all of people saved. But what happened, they reject Jesus so they didn't get saved. So God's desire for His children, His redeemed flock, it is His desire for them to abound in everything. In how many things? Not just money. I know people are talking about, but I'm talking about health and I'm talking about fruitful ministry. I'm talking about all things. All things. Listen to me. We are the ones who can block his desire for our abundance. 
I know, some of you are squirming. Bless your heart. I love you dearly. Oh, I can't imagine even people sitting in front of the computer. They'll probably turn it off. Don't, don't turn it off. The best is yet to come. Keep, keep it on. This is not works, congregation. I don't believe in works. If you listen to me long enough, you know that I believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. Sola Scriptura is what we teach in this church. But this is what the Word of God said. Listen to me. How do we block this abounding? I'm going to prove it to you from the Scripture, from what Jesus said. By the measure you use is going to be measured back to you. Beloved, listen to me. My plea is for every one of you, every one of you, whether you're watching on Kingdom Set around the world or online or you're here in this beautiful sanctuary, my plea with you, please do not block God's desire for your abundance by being chinchy with God. Let me illustrate this from the Orient. There's an Oriental legend about a potato farmer. It says the potato farmer decided one day that he's going to eat all the big potatoes and sow seed for the next season, the smaller ones. Well, he kept on doing this. As years have passed, subsequent harvests, harvests got smaller and smaller until the potatoes were tiny marbles. Listen, <laughs> we can say all day long. Everything we have belongs to God. God owns everything, and we can say that until we're blue in the face. We can intellectually believe that God will multiply the seeds for the sower, but until we actually sow some seeds, we are proving that our praise is hollow. Neither praise alone nor giving alone is enough to put you in a position of receiving of God's blessings. But consecrated praise and devoted giving places you directly under God's shower from the sky. Giving and praising acknowledges God's ownership. Secondly, giving and praising is the seed for further blessing. And finally, giving feeds praising and praising feeds giving. They feed on each other. But not only that they feed on each other, but they encourage others to do the same. They motivate others. I know that people around the world watching us, and they watch this congregation. They know that we're a praising congregation. They know that we're a giving congregation, and they want to become generous and praiseful too. You see, it's contagious. It's contagious. I have never met a generous person who was not filled with thanksgiving and praise in his, her life. I have never met one. By the same token, I've never met a person who's filled with praise and thanksgiving to the Lord and He's not generous in His giving or her giving. Now I can tell you, I'll tell you this only to the glory of God, really to the glory of God. Whenever I travel overseas, 
I have people come with Middle East, Far East, Australia, wherever I go, people come to me and they would say, we thank God daily for the Church of the Apostles. We thank God for leading the way. We thank God for kingdom set. We thank God for their sacrificial giving to make it possible for us to hear the gospel. We thank God that you are broadcasting the gospel freely. All praise goes to God. All praise goes to God. Amen. If, you not, if, you, if you're not clapping for me, I hope you don't. If you do ever clap for me, stop it. But if you want to clap for God, give Him big praise. Give Him praise. I'm about to close, so listen carefully. By God's will and strength, by God's will and strength, in the coming decades, and you'll hear more about that in January as I share our vision for the coming decade, by His will and His strength, we're going to do more and more and more because we will be invading more and more of Satan's territories. We will help set free By God's grace and mercy, we will set free men and women, boys and girls from sin and death. We will give more and more the opportunity for people to hear the good news of the gospel, the love of Christ for them. Beloved, we have so much more harvest yet to come. If I did not believe that, I wouldn't be standing right here. We have much more, many souls are yet to be won for Christ. I was, I was praying in the middle of the night the other day, and I said, Lord, you know I'm ready to come and see you. And I said, not yet. Not ready for you. There's a harvest yet to come. I sat there and wept. I said, Lord, I am yours, whichever way it goes. When David, the great praising man of God, gave generously, others were motivated to do the same. When the Macedonians, so Paul said they gave out of their poverty. They were not rich people. They gave out of their poverty. When they did, the Corinthians were motivated to give. Beloved, our praising and giving creates hunger for God in the lives of the lost. It really does. Our praise and our giving are greatest impetus to reaching the world for Christ. And our Savior, our Savior is worthy. He is worthy of all the praise. He's worthy of all the giving. He's worthy of everything. Stand up and bless the Lord with me. Stand up and bless the Lord. Father, we give you praise. We give you praise. We give you praise. We give you praise. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy, Lord. You are worthy. You are worthy, Lord. You are worthy of all glory, honor, power, and might. You are worthy of all praise. You are worthy of all that we are, for you have given us everything. You've given us Jesus who's everything. You saved us when we were lost in sin. You have redeemed us when we do not deserve to be redeemed. You have given us grace that is so of which we are so unworthy. And so we praise your holy name for Jesus' sake. 
Amen and amen and amen.